Uh, yes. Um, can I can I help you? Are you looking for anything in particular today? Same as you, sister. I'm just trying to get to the end of this page. Got to get to the other page. Try to get to the end of this book. Try to get to another book. Day in, day out. Oh my! It seems like you're quite voracious. Do you have very a- voracious? Just look at the size of my bindle. I've got a lot of ground to cover. Not much time to cover it in. I'm sorry, little urchin. I think that you might have a problem. Urchin, I'm a CEO. Oh, and I'm the- ready. I'm ready to stake my claim on the other side of this book. Just wait till I get to the index. All right, oh, all right. No, That's I'm- enough of that. Get out of here. This is oh, a no reading zone. Oh, Look. thank goodness. I was so worried. No reading. I don't. I don't know the meaning of them terrible words. Yeah. Because I ain't gotten to that part of the book yet. Yeah, we don't. How take, am I supposed to know those words? We don't take kindly the people like you here. We don't like watching you filling your head with knowledge, turning this entire world inside out. You just gotta. You oh. just gotta go. Go. Go back to the safety of your own home. You want to do something, officer? Like that, this freak. little child has a an imagination that goes beyond himself. He thinks he's some sort of high powered CEO. My goodness, you have to put a stop to this. I know, again, that is... Well, once again, I am a professional, and I would not hire you in my company, which does not exist, but will very soon, as soon as I understand the words that I am actually saying. Dangerous minds read books. Get back to your home, or I'm going to have to place you under arrest. I'm not going back to my home. I'm going to the other side of this page, just as soon as one of you can tell me where it is. All right, give it to me. Okie doke. Give me the book. What am I giving to you exactly? Uh, the book. Give me the book. I'm confiscating... No, we're I'm, in the book. I'm confiscating... When did that happen? That's always been happening. What See, kind I'm of, the only one who knows what's going on. What kind of witchcraft you doing here, you little? Speaking of witchcraft, I'm gonna hop on my bindle, look backwards, and pretend like I'm riding riding through the pages like some sort of witch. Hey, officer, you... I think fire is our only option at this point. It really is. Let me let me pull this thing out. All right, all right. They, they got a light, old lady. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, he, here. Of course, I always bring my flamethrower. All right, just just like. Oh no, it. I'm imagining things too. No, no. Now I... we're another. Now we're. See, now look at what you did. You had too many ideas. Now we're in another book. I'll see you bonus later. All right. <laughs> I guess okay. that's a fine intro for what this is. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, like, how how much closer could we get to the truth? <sighs> you know, there are so many things that tried to do, like, oh, it's Wishbone, but this. Uh, right. And the whole edutainment s- spectrum, you know, in the 90s, uh, they didn't really have, uh, you know, th- th- it was it was a brand new tapestry. Not a lot of public programming that was inventive and fantastic uh, was daring enough to go this deep, to go as deep as the show that we're talking about today, yeah. which is too- inside-out word pages. Yeah, too much medium, not enough message. Dan, you brought us to this. You've, you've been doing oh, a lot of... Oh, speaking of which, hello, yes. Dan. Welcome oh. back to our show. Hi, well, Dan. Speaking of Zane. which, uh, you're Ben and I'm Zane, and this is the Cartoncast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is Zane. Maybe it is. <laughs> that is true. And I'm I'm your guest. Good to be back, guys. It's been it's been a yeah. little too long. Um, it has been a little too long. Uh, yeah, we always. Uh, I think the last time that you showed up on our show, uh, we were talking about, hey, I've got a face, yeah. uh, which was a really interesting kind of, uh, you know, uh, a biopic uh, that would took place in, but from the perspective of somebody's 
somebody with both a head and a body, but thought he was just a head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a little more artsy than uh, was usually for my taste. But you know, I think I think our listeners would uh, remember that I was pleasantly surprised with, uh, with the whole. With if the whole they're setup. not in for the cerebral content by now, I don't know what. Yeah, I, you made I, know. A lot I, don't, of, I don't know what to do for them. You made a lot of great observations. I just wish I could have edited out the constant screaming. I think that's important to like the to the character of that, but we're not here to talk about that. Too. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a whole we've got a whole different episode um, for that. But so go back. The, in our the listener might know Dan from his own work on the uh, Cocktail Party Congress. The last uh, episode, I believe, you had that exclusive interview where you got the Trump administration to admit to all of its crimes, but then lost the audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was some sort of magic power that Rudy Giuliani had lying in his uh, in his repertoire. Like he just. Um, you know, we got him, we got him as drunk as we possibly could and he spilled mm. the beans, but, uh, yeah. you know, JT and I both, how did you know, well, how did you know when it was enough? Um, you know, that's a really good question. When he started spilling he those was, beans. Yeah. Oh, like beans just enough. started. I mean, yeah. When, once the beans really started to flow, um, we knew it was pretty well. Um, it was pretty well a short time until he was ready to give all of the secrets but jt and i woke up the next morning and our hard drives were completely scrubbed yeah yeah and and you also uh had a scar uh where one of your kidneys once was yeah i didn't and woke up in a in a bathtub full of ice yeah i didn't expect the bathtub full of ice uh it wasn't even my bathtub i wasn't uh you know it took me a a few hours yeah but (laughs) save you a trip to bed bath and beyond that's true. Yeah. I have been using it to um, keep my bottles chilled, so that's okay. That's a nice. Okay. That's a nice little side benefit. But uh, yeah, content-wise, sad loss. But you know, what are you gonna do from time to time? Well, I, yeah, I really appreciate what you put in its place, which was a uh, interview with Belgium, just straight up, just the country <laughs> itself, Belgium. Yes, all of Belgium. Um, they really did waffle a little bit more than uh, I expected on a lot of <laughs> policy areas, but you know, weird French accent. I wasn't expecting it. I know, right? It's not quite French, but you know, mm. they wouldn't tell you it's more German than French. So I guess let them have a, what they think they've got. But I suppose so. Yeah. But in any case, it's great to have you back on for uh, mm-hmm. for the show today. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you you brought this to our attention because I uh, I remember you were saying that you didn't quite know what to make of it. You felt like you had a really good uh, you you had a really good conception of what it was trying to get across, but maybe wanted our insight into like how it articulated to wizened cartoon watchers such as ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I always like seeing creators push the limits of what uh you know fantastical literature and surreal absurdist uh um comedy can take us but you know um especially ever since the very um uncreative and uh sort of doomed attempt by lavar burton to do a christmas special um reading humbug <laughs> Uh, this was a nice change of pace to see that uh, you know the 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 world of uh, animated fantastical literature uh, illustration is still alive. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, uh, Zane, would you like to tell us uh, tell tell us all the production history of this uh, of this interesting little thing? Yeah, I would love to. So, uh, Inside Out Word Pages ran from uh, 1999 to 2001. It had uh, two two seasons, but two good full seasons. 
Two uh, good full seasons. It was... Uh, it was made... interesting. The second season was actually full of the first season, and then just also the rest of the second season. A lot of season. bottle episodes, clip shows. Yeah, there were some issues in the writer's room. This, no, this was... well, yes, there were also a lot of that, but it was also the first part of the second season was just the first season verbatim. Like, the first episode of the second season was just the first season and it's it's called synecdoche and it's a literary element yeah i I, I definitely i understand synecdoche i got through the second season they taught me that word i just i i think it's interesting that they would decide to actually implement that right right there at the beginning of the second season yeah it was a little jarring i did give roku a call to give him a piece of my mind because i thought it was broken but no it turned (laughs) out it was just a it was just a let's just say like a, a, a wild creative decision on the part of the group. Apparently they've right. gotten enough comments about that that they've added that to their FAQ page. Absolutely. And I saw that. I saw that. It was in uh it was in Helvetica, I believe. Exactly. And Ben, just to answer your question, I gave them my yes. Bodula oblongata. Don't need that. No. <laughs> just taking up space. Yeah, so yeah. um it just was in the way. this show was made by uh Maisie Flurfenherver. Um we have seen her work before on Raisins and Renegades. I do remember that uh I, you know, I, it's been so long since I watched that, um, but she definitely brings a unique. Uh, she she definitely brings a unique um, style to her work, wherein she actually does the commentary for all of her work and interposes it over everything that she does, and then does commentary on her commentary, and then puts that in her work as well. So yeah, for the so, entirety yeah. of anything, you can always tell when it's one of her projects because. You have her and her rebuttal over all of the dialogue in the show. Yeah, and of course, this is her first non-Raisin-related piece of work, and also her— Yeah, her 13th 13th series, yeah. Yeah, and her least political. I mean, um, Raisins and Renegades is one of her more better-known works, but before that, she also had Raisin Revolutionaries, which really— it really wasn't the uh, the the right thing to have come out at the height of the Cold War, but it doesn't, especially right after Raisins and Racists. Exactly. It, it, yeah, a little too soon. It's not in the zeitgeist. It's kind of like you can't judge Shakespeare for having iambic pentameter nowadays. Right. It just Which doesn't make is any now sense a capital offense, of course. Now a capital offense since Raisins and Raisins. Yes. But you know, art is a struggle, and I think that <laughs> Flourish and Harever um, really did uh, land on something with, uh, with he, this one. Yeah, the, she landed on something. The the commentary that you mentioned that comes from her history, uh, uh, her original job as a teacher. You know, uh, they have those manuals with the annotations written in, so you can see what the students see and see what the teacher should see. So this this show not only operates as a piece of, as you say, edutainment, but also as sort of a uh, sort of a tutorial for people to make their own edutainment. I mean, people is general. She, she she is generous. She was a teacher of jackals and coyotes, mm-hmm. which is why part of the commentary is actually a translation into jackaland or coyote, depending on how it's localized. Yeah, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is why the main character is Anubis, the jackal-headed god of, uh, Egyptian god of uh, the underworld. A little bit of pandering, but, you know... <laughs> Well, I don't think I don't think it's pandering. I think it'd be weird not to do it. Uh, it made sense eventually. At the beginning of the show, I was like, "This is an odd choice that doesn't really add much." But I, I see where they went. 
I don't know, man. It's like trying to it's it's like trying to show like a rap group's ascendancy without using Easy E. It just kind of it's sure. so easy, you know. It it makes sense to do it. It makes sense if you're gonna do this kind of show, you better have Anubis on there. Like it takes more effort to explain why that wouldn't happen, you know. And the this show has uh, the the main plot structure of the show does take Anubis um, during his like romp through both. Um, you know, high literature, judging the different characters, but also um, looking out at the the broader plot and judging the other characters in the story itself. So there's sort of that t- double layer. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, underneath all of that is a pretty subtly paced, uh, you know, erotic fanfic between him and all the various librarians that uh, uh, come in and come and go as they please. Very as- horny Anubis. Very horny Anubis. Is 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 the way he is dubbed by pretty much every other character in the show. He never actually gives his name, uh, but he is called very horny Anubis. Yes, I think that the some people they probably wouldn't find the erotica too appealing, but you know, I think in context it works. It's an important part of his character. You know, he's he's searching for new ideas, new experiences. You're gonna get you're gonna get some uh, you know new sexual experiences in there, and you, they don't shy away from that at all. They do yeah. not. Plus, this ran on Nick Jr., so a lot of it probably went over the the audience's head. The funny thing is that uh, you know they did try to you know make it make it appropriate for the kids. So the censoring that happened uh, was not merely uh, was not merely you know that you know put a, a black bar over the boobs or anything like that. Uh, it was so racy at at points that the entire film just cut out cut to black like mm-hmm. everything was had a black bar over it and all the dialogue was filthy enough like i think only the jackal and coyote translation commentary it actually existed for a good portion of this show mm-hmm. well that, that that was during the episodes where they were you know they, they look at different works of literature this one happened to be like um censored cia documents <laughs> that, that's true so, so that was of a, course a it's gonna accident. be you know uh i liked the murder mystery episode i liked um you're always on board for a murder mystery. i did i like the sort of like biology textbook but uh you know reading the dictionary uh 800th you know rendition of romeo and juliet some of these things i've seen before elsewhere and better well, you can't fault the show for trying. I mean, if, if, at least even if they're recycling ideas like Romeo and Juliet or the dictionary, they're doing it in an interesting and erotic way with yeah. plenty of, honestly, plenty of, um, frankly, disturbing fourth wall breaks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like a fourth wall break more than any other man, even in a cartoon, but but these ones just made me uncomfortable. But it was part of the experience. Like where Anubis is judging you, the viewer? Yeah, is it where where you are actually like on the screen? Like they use they use I don't know what technology they do, but whoever's yeah. watching it, you see Anubis coming out of the like com- coming through your wall. You see that on your screen, Anubis coming through your wall in real time and grabbing you on the shoulder and starting massaging your pecs. Right, and like that was the second call that I made to Roku to give him a, <laughs> another piece of my mind. But you know, uh, once again, I I laid the blame at the wrong place. It was more just uh, I it was it was just too brilliant for me to take mm-hmm. in at the moment. And uh, just just so that we are up to date. Uh, what piece of your mind was at that time? Uh, this one was uh, part of my frontal lobe. Not all of it, but, okay. but you know, enough. 
En- enough that they get the point. Yeah, exactly. Enough that a message is 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 made. I've become a little more erratic since then, but you know, it's par- it comes with the territory. I think we all have after this show. Yeah, you know, you can't you can't go back to the way you were before. No, you know? changes. Yeah, the, the pacing does definitely adds to that sensation. Ben, how would how would you describe like the structure of a of an episode? Not not one of the weirder, more conceptual, but like one of the more down to earth ones. What kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the you know the the basic episode format, and it 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 jumps around a little bit as they go through various arcs of Anubis's kind of adventures. But the basic episode format uh, is that Anubis is at the library. He always starts at the library. They have like a a pretty consistent framing device where at the beginning of the episode he's at the library, he's reading a book, and he you know turns right to the camera, like piercing gaze right at the viewer, and he's like, you know, this book is really great. And then he, in fact, goes and explains to a third party why the book is so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never actually tells you what the book is, so that that's kind of a nice little puzzle element to it. you could, you got to figure out what he's talking about. Um, and he'll change what he's talking about at random. And that'll take you right up through maybe like the 12 or 13 minute, minute arc. And then we have some of the, you know, erotic romance romantic tension between him and the librarians it's very harem anime at times Mm -hmm. um and that that lasts pretty much right through to the end of the episode that's the basic structure yeah and and each of those transitions is just like breakneck abrupt like you really Mm -hmm. like even even if you think you're getting used to the rhythm of the show like it always comes as a shock to the system whenever he goes from explaining not only the book that he has in his hand but i every now and then he did start to just like jam together the stories of three different books at a time like he just sort of like went in and then just yeah. all of a sudden boom here come the boa feather like like the feather boas and the yeah. fuzzy <laughs> boa feathers and the, the, the whimsical feather feathered boa, boa feathers, of venezuela yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, they're, he, they're he was are, really into the furry kind of thing. Yep. You know, Anubis was very into that uh, that that kind of thing at the time. Uh, but he didn't want to be uh, he didn't want to be subjected to like normative animals. So he, no. he got into like cryptozoology, like the you know fantastical animals, and he put his libido in that direction. So you do have feather boas, you know, these bird snakes, um, and he would have the librarians dress up at, as them. Yeah, you know, as to to prove their to prove their worth. Yeah, I mean the man had his fantasies, um, but I think some of the some of the more interesting characterizations came during. Um, I would say once every few episodes there would be a lengthy dream sequence that mm-hmm. was both compelling to watch and a little disturbing. Akin- because you didn't really know like. Like, you would see a scene of a bunch of people, and you wouldn't know which one Anubis is until the very end of the dream sequence. Right. Well, it was usually from Anubis's perspective. And, uh, I mean, the one that really mm-hmm. stands out to me is um, an episode, uh, I think it was season two, episode 38. Uh, the Rich, full seasons, I'm telling you. I know. Mm. The, the, the anthropomorphic banana lap dance. Mm-hmm. Stands out in my mind. I mean, I was at a point expecting the banana to stop dancing and to begin to peel himself for Anubis's pleasure. I was not expecting the banana to begin to scream like it did. It, it just like it filled it filled my heart with dread, but erotic dread, which yeah. which was conflicting to feel. One of the best kinds of dread. I, I think that's the in, I think that's the intent of the show. You know, I, I think that's the intent of. So uh, one thing that, you know, I think the dream sequences are really important for is that it gives you a perspective on all of the different things. So maybe we kind of buried the lead here. We did. Every time Anubis reads a book, 
uh, he creates a new personality out of the book that he's reading. Sure. Yeah. And that personality does not go away. He yep. is a person that continues to talk to him while he's reading other books. He'll constantly have internal dialogues. And during the dream sequences, it's like you pan out, you see like the big Where's Waldo shot, you just see him and billions of avatars of other personalities that he's co-opted mm-hmm. from all these dreams. You know, the personalities of these books, they're becoming out oh, inside out word pages, people. Um, you, you can see the effect of the things that he's been reading having on them. And I think the fact that the erotic banana lap dance, the banana is like 20 times the size of any of the other people really tells you where his mind's at, really tells you the importance of that particular book, which of course was erotic banana lap dance. Well, the, by don't, Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, don't. Well, yes, of course. Uh, well, don't forget this was you know the the context at the time. This was an era in animation when weird fruit was really at its zenith. You know, uh, I'm thinking particularly of like uh, the Bowl and Play f- Club um, as an example, or uh, that one episode of Hey Arnold. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was. Uh, yeah, I, I think that was. You know, it's 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 good that you can see a show both appealing to the era in which it is uh in, in which it is topical while at the same time not losing its message yeah because i think you know at its core banana it's really good at externalized uh you know uh, an externalized object for this idea of turning your inside self outward yeah orange you glad we fruit. didn't use a freudian metaphor and indeed i was exactly it would have been two on the nose or to use a freudian metaphor two on the dong there we go. I mean, we could. Two on the we, dong is worth two in the bush. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, clearly we can't overlook the fact that the giant banana is a phallus. So that does make sense. Mm-hmm. I Oh, I didn't even make that connection. Like, I, I think they did enough work on the banana on itself. But, like, well, I think that, if you had to. Well, I think as the peel went down and the banana's flesh was indeed pink. I think that was. <laughs> okay, the, granted. You know. Hey, I'll. I mean, a little ethnocentric, right? But mm-hmm. sure, I, I'll grant you that. That could have been some that is true. bedonged. That could have been some bedonged fella. That is it true. It could have been like Caucasian the saturation fella. changing because, you know, this was made on a, a sort of a lower quality paper. And so uh, sometimes, you know, the, the slides below would bleed through. If somebody spilled coffee on that page, they just kind of went with it. Um, so the color scheme did vary quite a bit. See, I thought those were just artistic choices. I thought he just had a rash, to be honest. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. These are all possibilities. Yeah, that is true. Oddly, oddly enough, uh, Maisie did not like ever write a book describing this show and her work on it. I think that she, she figured the work would speak for itself. And it does. You know? It really does. Yeah. Um, so maybe let's talk about a couple of the other characters. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we have Urchin, the CEO. Yep. Uh, he he is this. Uh, he's this little ragamuffin that he I believe is one of Anubis's first companions that he picks up through some sort of Oliver Twist book. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a Dickens book. I think maybe he was reading a couple different things at the same time, and the character got confused. He thought it was his, he thought he was an, uh, an, he, he expressed himself like an urchin, but he's actually a CEO. He's actually, and he has, he's got the thoughts of Anubis in that he understands that he's in a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that came from uh, when Anubis accidentally, or maybe intentionally, conflated uh, Oliver Twist with Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. So, oh, so in front of the classroom. Yeah, it, and he got really embarrassed, and he got like a little blush, <laughs> and the, yeah. the teacher 
you know, was real smug about it. Oh, yeah, man, that was a hard scene. And so the, the, the this uh, so the urchin is definitely Oliver Twist meets uh, Howard Work. So yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did definitely. The urchin comes off as kind of cute, but not often when he opens his mouth. He says a lot of really. Um, I guess politically upsetting things about uh, parasites uh, taking <laughs> taking his wealth, and I, I, um, it was such a departure from the normal like cutesy kid that we're adding in for the, like the younger crowd, like that. It, it kind of won me over. Like those aren't my politics, but uh, you know something about the the message, like the messenger of it, uh, really. It, it made it clear that it was an irony to me. Yeah, that's fair. It, the 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 thing is, it 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 confuses the difficulty a little bit because all the dog whistling that he does is because he views everyone as actual literal dogs. That's right. Like, and and he gets very specific about what kind of dog each person is. Like, oh, look at that great Great Dane uh, taking money out of my pocketbook to to pay for his medication. Yeah, because I, not so not so great in my book. Which is right where I'm standing, because again, I know where I am. I'm in a book. This is like my favorite bit of dialogue, so I wrote the whole thing down. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the way he kind of keeps going on to explain where he's in. Yeah, you know, like extra just, sentences. It's like more words than kept on the page. Uh huh. Like almost in a way that makes me think that he was trying to convince himself. Like he was, he was trying not to forget. Yes, I'm a book character. This is what book characters do. Don't forget. Very memento. <laughs> so, so there was um there was an animorphs book once uh, that I that I was reading, where it was the the um the sentence that ended the chapter was just a couple of letters too long to fit on the page, and you could tell that the author was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this, and so I thought that like the like the chapter just ended in the middle of a sentence, and then the next chapter starts with like an end bracket around a couple of letters. <laughs> Did that really happen? That really happens. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I was like, why would you construct it like this? Why don't you like add in a picture or like change the kerning? I'll get, yeah. well, that's what you get for getting paid by the letter. Oh, the kerning golem, by the way, uh, is a mm-hmm. character in this who, um, I was wondering when you bring him up. Yeah. The kerning well, he, golem is the, it's sort of the, the linchpin of the show. Well, it, he's the only when he shows up. It's the only time that things slow down enough that I can tell what's going on. Yeah, yeah. He, he sort of. I mean, like you say, he's the linchpin of the show. He's he's also the linchpin of the library. You know, because like, uh, and it, this is established in lore pretty early on that the library collapses unless he has enough. You know, host of snack cakes to keep him sedate. Such that he doesn't go walking around and destroy the whole library. Yeah, mm. and do not bring him generic because he will rip your your arms off and um, just a pile of arms next to where he sleeps. Yeah, yeah. A lot it's of also. Oh, go no, no, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say a lot of a lot of arms and a lot of uh, unopened boxes. Of little Debbie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's that one person who there, there's that one other uh, that one of the one of the librarians uh, really loves little Debbie snack cakes, but like you know he, she's a little shy, so she won't actually get close enough to to be able to like ask him, excuse me, linchpin son, uh, golem. But uh, you know he, she, she she can never work up the energy to do it. Yeah, um, and once an episode uh, when like. Anubis really needs like some help in understanding something. He he will go to the Kerning Golem, and you know awaken him from his slumber long enough to get some help, but not so long that he destroys the library. So that adds a little bit of tension, and you know that adds a little frustration to the librarian relationship as well. 
It's 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 an interesting kind of tension though because there's no animation or like musical cues to tell us when the kerning golem is getting ready is like waking up like <laughs> and Anubis is just standing there for like multiple minutes being like all right I really don't want to bother you but I still don't know if you're awake yet kick him a couple of times like he doesn't have a face <laughs> so like there's no way to tell that he's actually awake just like um, humming slightly louder over time like oh i'm yeah. just humming to myself you know it's very possible that you already gave me all the help i need but it's very hard to tell because i can't tell if you're awake like he goes through the whole i love the dialogue <laughs> yeah yeah and, and it fits in with his character because he's you know also uh Immortal. he's also talking to um you know professors all the time mm-hmm. exactly um yeah so uh i, I want to you know touch on the bevy of librarians for a minute sure because uh, I think it's really, it, I think it's really clever that by the end of the first season, it's pretty clear to the audience that they are all one person, and it's Wilson the mailman, but it just dressed up in a bunch of different ways, as, as if you know he's putting on different costumes in order to try to get close to Anubis. When I realized that, I was like, oh. Yeah, 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 more power. More power to him, honestly. I, I would ship these two shits hard. Yeah, I mean, Anubis is a heartbreaker, and uh, the, the, the mailman, he really wants in on that. So, of course, he's going to put on as many disguises as it takes to um, finally, finally get himself a piece of the the god of uh, the god of death. So, yeah. Do you, do you think that's why the intro music was heartbreaker? I think that's exactly why. I mean, it just seemed okay. to make perfect sense. I, I yeah, I thought it was just like you know. I, I guess I didn't I didn't really stop to think about it. I just was jamming. Yeah, yeah I, but I mean, especially um, I, I was I was kind of curious about the artistic choice of having Heartbreaker played on the bagpipes for the opening of this show. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, uh, maybe that's just something that that got lost on you while you were focusing on that. The, the lyrics embody the theme. The bagpipes remind you that you're in a library, and it's it's inappropriate. Yes, right. it would what, be what is the, inappropriate. What does the theremin represent? The unknown. That's, sure. a, that's, a, that's a pretty good guess in general. That's yeah, kind of what just, theremins if, do. If you ever come across <laughs> yeah. a, a theremin in your, in your waking life, just assume somebody is t- not telling you something straight. Yeah, not only is it a symbol of the unknown in that it creates an eerie and mysterious vibe, but I also don't know what it represents so that's just my my the the next best answer to the favorite answer of the lawyer it depends is i don't know so there we go i wish i could ask you that question before that uh before you <laughs> lost that frontal lobe i know right <laughs> can i interest you in some off-brand theremins <laughs> they uh they vibrate yeah. constantly and they make you feel unsettled yeah that that is the other thing that the uh that the current golem uh can uh, can, is, can snack you are on. able to, to to sate his to sate his hunger? Yeah, he yeah. ate that Girl Scout once, but uh, they 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 paid uh, they settled out of court. Yes, uh, do you a blood do you price. think that Wilson putting on the different librarian? It, it, it's a way to better connect with Anubis, who himself has so many facades. Yeah, they are kind of mirror images of each other. It's just that Anubis is a little more better at it because he is uh, divine. I don't know if I'd go with mirror image, considering that Anubis's doppelganger is also floating around, Anubo, but he's just like a cool Arthur Fonzarelli type that just kind of hangs out and like points out 
all of uh, Anubis's like nerdy foibles. Yeah, he, you know? he he's mostly he's mostly there for the comic relief and to sell uh, slogans for T-shirts, which we 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 should at some point talk about how this show. Inside Out Word Pages was a marketing powerhouse from all the oh t-shirts, all the bobbleheads, even the theremins. Like you've you, got you, those you didn't books just make that up. constantly in the background. You can just cover the oh, this is Pepsi book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of a, a lot of um oh, what's the Definite, phrase? Definitely like product placement. Product placement. There we go. That that, mm. that 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 was in the lobe that I gave to Ro, uh, Roku. So. <laughs> it was kind of a it was kind of a brilliant marketing strategy because like I don't think they wanted uh, you know um, Hostess snack cakes to really I, I don't think they wanted to burden them with the intense cult following that this show had. You know they would never they'd never get off the phones. You know mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta make sure that you're not causing undue bur- burden to your sponsors. So what they did was that uh, they would put a little, uh, you know those things in birthday cards where you open them and they start playing the tune? Mm -hmm. They would do that where it would be an audio form of the sponsorship whenever you opened up host snack cakes, but it it was at a such a low frequency that humans could not hear it. So if you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't find it. But if you were, hey... It, it's a reverse dog out. whistle. We've got some inside out word pages here. Let, let me let me give Ingenious. you an example of how this how this plays out in an episode. So Anubo in one of them is uh is is really taking Anubis to task. He's you know just making fun of him, just riffing nonstop, giving him swirlies, giving him swirlies. And uh, one time you know he he says in a product placementy way he says, "Hey, don't get mad, get glad." Um, making fun of Anubis for for being angry all the time in his judgments, and the urchin guy is is telling Anubis he's like. Listen, you know, he doesn't actually mean that you are mad too much, but rather he wants you to recognize the great value in using glad trash bags, is what I'm saying. So, like, that's... And then, then he goes on to explain that that is indeed what he's saying. That is, that's indeed what he's saying. several other pieces of evidence throughout the course of the show. It's like, this is why I would say such a thing. And you can look back to this point in this episode. Like, he calls out the episode by name. He's like, remember, in episode four, I also had these opinions that related to the topic at hand that we're discussing right in this moment. Yes, yeah, synecdoche. We, we all understand yes. that. Okay, okay, I just wanted to point it out <laughs> in case we weren't all, all up to speed on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I I do really love the character of Anubo though. Um, I, I think it's really funny that he, uh, you know, whenever Anubis uh, talks to him, and he's clearly, you know, he's got his urchin CEO kind of counterpart on. You know, he that like that's the part of his personality that he's representing. Anubo like gets along with him really well because he's like, <laughs> hey, this is a grifter just like me. Let's uh, you know, let's go sell some. Knock off Louis Vuitton handbags down at the pass. Oh my and god, of course, when they, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they and they were like, Oh, let's go hang out with Tom Sawyer, the greatest one of them all, but they end up in Moby Dick instead. And they're like, Oh, they we do, sell to a whale. And they gotta whitewash the whale and like you know, that that's a that's a really great moment of catharsis. Yeah, but it was And then like Anubis wakes up halfway through and he's like, What the fuck were you doing this time? <laughs> yeah. And then you know, Anubo's just like, Hey, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> Really good moments and, in this. And definitely really don't hate payoffs. the gain laundry detergent. Right, of course. After the credits on that episode yeah. was... Uh, yeah. what, what do we think of... You know, this This was also a thing at the time. We we saw this in, uh, you know, Jimmy Neutron, Planet Sheen. They give the funny character, quote-unquote, you know, Joey from Friends. They give them their own spinoff show. It doesn't go well. What did we think of the Anubo spinoff? Um, oh, I love uh, it. 
because beyond these pages yeah these ones you know i yeah you know these you know and then with all the punctuation the ellipses at the end of it and everything um what i really love is that they just copy pasted everything that anubo does here he just does in other shows (laughs) so like everybody loves raymond but anubo is there and that's what they would call the show that's what they call the (laughs) spin-off everybody loves raymond but anubo is there and so it would yeah. be the plot of Everybody Loves Raymond with, you know, generous gaps of silence in between. And Anubo would say the things that he would be saying to Anubis, but of course it's Raymond. You see, yeah, I they couldn't, they couldn't hire the guy to, to voice again. It was mostly, right. it, I, I mostly found that spinoff <coughs> to be a little too derivative. I mean, especially after All in the Family, but Anubo is there. Uh, it just didn't, <laughs> it just didn't translate that well. Um uh, the Jeffersons, but Anubo is there. It just didn't like. The, 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 it's just a mix that just didn't really work for me. I was more interested in uh, Bumblepuss on the Hunt, which of course is based off of the ant- the main antagonist in sure. in Inside Out uh, word pages. Yeah, so let's talk about this antagonist, Bumblepuss. Yes, uh, he is a um, he is a Scottish rapping tiger, right. And, and which That's was an interesting r- choice. Really, all I can say about it. It's pretty him. clear that he's not a good rapper or a no. good tiger. Like, not because I, I've actually found his lyrics pretty good. And he always raps about tiger things, which is, you know, that's a good way to tell us about the character. Yeah. But everyone is putting him down. But mm-hmm. a great Scotsman. Great Scotsman. He is a good. No one disputes that. Yeah. Like, even his own family is just like, hey, if you could bring up your rapping to the same level. Or like the you're rapping or you're tigering to the same level that you bring up your Scotsoning. They're not well read. They don't. They didn't go to college, so they have the, you know these kind of they, they have these kind of speech patterns that don't always that don't always work. But uh, you know that, that that is a thing that they constantly raz him about. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that the backpipes play over the opening, I think, is an illusion to to Bumblepuss's. You know, he's he's ruining the ambiance. He's ruining what is normally a great library and what is normally a fine song yes because the way that he operates usually i mean he isn't an overwhelming presence in the show but when he does show up it is always disruptive but brief and he oh, usually, in like a bullet train just destroying things but never like yeah like oh we're doing the same thing and a couple of walls are gone but like the central conflict here has not you know escalated at all no not at all uh, he he also seems to get a lot of pleasure out of. Uh, I had to look this up. Uh, he so I guess maybe rapping isn't quite the thing that I would call it. I discovered there is an ancient Scottish practice called flighting, which hmm. is uh, apparently that's how Scottish gentlemen settled their disputes. Is they would just sort of meet on a craggy hilltop and basically have a rap battle flinging insults at each other in verse and he would always oh, try to engage anubis in that and it always failed because anubis was above it but he would just sort of like kick in the walls and just start like laying down disses but in a thick scottish accent that <laughs> really really undercut his point yeah it's it's the the combination of cracking wise about one's mama and a thick Scottish accent, wherein it's difficult to actually discern which part of it is the cracking wise, which part of it is the talking about the mama, and how much of it is just tiger syntax. <laughs> it like just none of the disses ever kind of, they never kind of, never kind of get through. I, I think it's like, 
I think that they were trying to express that this is a person with a lot of pain, and he doesn't have a good way, he doesn't have a good outlet for it. Unlike Anubis, whose outlet is reading. It is. And, and the level of the rapping is like, oh, Bumblepuss is here, time to pay your dues, I'm all up in your grill with my Scottish bruge. You know, like, it's kind of like, it's weak rhymes, it's, you know... It's very unfocused. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but he still, you know, he still is a menace to the show. Yeah, the thing is, he is still up in my grill with his Scottish bruise. Like, <laughs> he won't I leave. can't argue. I can't argue that. That is absolutely true. He just, and when you say it like that, you know? There is a really cathartic time uh, in the second season. Actually, they, they snuck it in during the replay of the first season. So most people don't right. watch it. I, I believe in going above and beyond, uh, where yes, he's in the middle of well, rapping. I mean, like, we all watched it. He's in the middle of rapping, and the kerning golem just reaches out his hand and just crushes his neck. I I was wondering, like, how they would deal with that, the fact that the principal antagonist is dead <laughs> by the second season. But they still have it. Like, they still have his name in the credits. Yeah. He just never shows up again. Well, I mean, he, he doesn't show up again alive, right? He's just... It's something that they do. Kind is, of like, wheeze raps in the afterlife. I, well, I think they wanted to make it, like clear that like i think they were maybe like hinting at a third season because they didn't want to get rid of him from the show they just didn't want him to be there rapping cracking wise about our mamas anymore yeah he's just so what they do is they keep his corpse in the library but they move it every episode like kind of like an (laughs) easter egg like can you find (laughs) can you can you find bumblepuss's corpse in the in the stacks over over in uh over in social studies maybe maybe not maybe so yeah, pro- yeah, I think that makes sense. Is I he mean, in the utility closet? I mean, I think they were setting it up to have him pulling the strings from the afterlife uh, in the third season were there to be one, uh, mm-hmm. especially when Anubis went back to work uh, after his furlough, which is the whole reason why he was hanging out in this library in the first place. He's just killing time. Yeah, yeah he, he didn't actually really care where he was Build doing it. Skills, he could have been, been in the skate park. Find a sugar mama, been, you know, all of it these It could have things. been anywhere. He's just waiting. He's just uh, killing time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Do like, I do like how um, on the wiki, Bumblepuss's location in each episode is referred to by the Dewey Decimal-like number. It's like, oh, he, he in, in episode three, he was in, uh, you oh, know, uh, 502.1. Oh, that's, that's really astute. I didn't connect that up. I, I, I really didn't make that connection, but that, you know... I, I mean, that's... I didn't either. I read a wiki. It's, okay. it's less impressive than you're making it. Okay. You're all, you're like married to a librarian. Like, that's <laughs> not fair. That's not poker. That's not... <laughs> that's, that's, uh, not kosher poker? That's, that's not a word. That's not a phrase. They that's play a, kosher that, poker, some, uh, at one point. classic bumble pup, bumble puss, uh, rap disses. I mean, kosher <laughs> poker yeah. was one of the better episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. I did like that. Yeah, I did like that. I, it, it was, it was, uh, informative, both uh, from, like, the, you know, how do people keep kosher perspective, but also, like, what happens when a man is forced to part with all of his clothing and most of his teeth? Yeah. Uh, and what happens when that man is a tiger? And I loved uh, the inclusion, you know, they try and make it multicultural, so they had uh, you know, uh, Herschel, the the great folk hero, uh, Jewish folk hero Herschel, uh, who's kind of like, uh, Dan, I don't know if you know this character, he's kind of like a Jewish Bugs Bunny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to describe it, like... <laughs> Like, I think Bugs Bunny's relationship to Elmer Fudd, but everybody except Herschel is Elmer Fudd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, Bugs Bunny was Jewish enough for my taste, but, you know, this yeah. was... This was <laughs> yeah, that's this true. Was it's a weird a, phrasing of it. He was Jewish enough for me, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, no, I thought that this was a beautiful uh, representation of a rich and storied culture that just... Uh, 
it yeah just gambled the shit out of the tiger <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was exactly it was exactly what i didn't know i needed mm-hmm. uh dan you mentioned it a bit ago I, i'm sorry i cut you off you were okay. talking about his furlough program like uh, right. uh for, for 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 where he was actually trying to work when he got distracted with this library oh yeah so i was i was hoping you would bring us up to speed on like how the second season plays out with re- with respect to that. oh yeah well well the whole premise of the show is that the afterlife has been closed and so anubis has been on furlough for so long and so he he's hanging out in this library uh reading books and laying pipe as much as he can <laughs> and so um so I, I mean, it eventually I think they were building up by the I mean by the finale of season two. I don't know if we want to get into uh, too much of the plot, but spoilers, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, you should watch it yourself. But a, you know, a hole opens up in the middle of the floor of the library, and um, lost souls that have been piling up over the past two seasons began pouring out. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw Bumblepuss twitch a bit. So I'm thinking, mm. I'm thinking that was a setup that, first of all, Anubis had was about to return to work and that he would be managing the afterlife once again, weighing the hearts of pharaohs oh, and sick. the passed away uh, against their uh, worldly deeds and sins. And Bumblepuss was going to be, uh, once again, his main antagonist, but only because the afterlife was back in play. It's That's a, how it's you a shame. do it. That's how you do a spinoff. Yeah, it's a sh- that makes sense. It's a shame we didn't get to see that. Uh, but you know, you know. The- and you know, I think it it hints at a broader cosmology too. Because I don't know if you saw this, there was um, a little bit of leaked footage online of like the place that they wanted to go with like the end credit. Of course, the end credits there was just that theremin solo. But the, the kind of a scrapped storyboarded idea that they decided to maybe save for a third season, which unfortunately is never going to happen. Um, was that that ending scene where the like you know the underworld opens up and all the souls pour out? You know you know the dialogue that Anubis and Anubo have, where Anubis is just like, "Well, that ain't good," and uh, Anubo's like, "Hey, you're telling me." Um, they replicate that scene for like a bunch of other major death deities throughout the you know throughout the like pantheon the expanded multiverse kind like, of attempt like an avengers you know, it, thing you you see like a hell library and like uh the the pit opens up and uh you know it's beelzebub there and beelzebozo um you know right by his side yeah. and they're having the same <laughs> yeah. dialogue he's like well that can't be bad because you know it's reversed because it's in hell and it's like you're not telling me <laughs> you know so they they have that in you know there was one for hades um they they had one for for a bunch of different mm-hmm. kind of major religion re- major religious iconography for the underworld yeah i much would have preferred that as a spinoff I, I would take any number of like iterations of this concept like i don't think it's done to death even even a little bit yeah no i think there's still water in that well i mean of course we're not going to get a season three and let's just be frank because of the lawsuits yeah i mean like i don't think it was like really fair to use Jonah Hill's likeness uh, in in a uh, they they used it with a um, they they used it and like clipped him into a video of somebody running around just biting people in the jugular. I don't know why that was the promotional material for this show and why they felt the need to multiple times say this is really Jonah Hill not a promotional material for this show. And then at the very end of the thing, it would be, this is promotional material for this show. But they showed it on all the news channels. 
Um, you know, the, the, the Hill estate was very upset. It makes sense. The, like, the problem, that, of course, that he was underage at the time. That That's a big, I mean, like. 2000, who, he would have been, like, he he was just about to make it big. Yeah, of course. And, like, he came back later and he's like, that's a pretty good, that's a good promotion. You know, that's a, you know, and, and he actually does make a cameo in one of the later episodes, you know, where he literally just shows up and says, that's a good promotion. And then his doppelganger, uh, Jonah Hill troll, says, you're telling me. Yep, yep, exactly. And, then, of course, the promotional thing they're talking about is the Kerning Golem's uh, Hostess Snack Cakes, which yeah. it is. It's a good promotion. And that's a good tie-in. And I bought three score. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. As a, as a, as a lawyer man, as a, <laughs> as a budding lawyer man yourself, mm-hmm. uh would you would you say there's any way to get out of that uh legal uh le- legal razzmatazz as it stands right now is there any like are there any roadblocks in place that are preventing that from going forward i mean they did settle out of court so i'd have to know the terms of that but i think they just have to negotiate things out with the jonah hill estate um you know ever ever since uh the accident you know yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not the side of the court you would want to be on for this. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that if uh, if if Maisie just apologized, that would be that would be something that would work out. Unlikely, but very no. very proud. It's very, very unlikely. No, I think she's unlikely. gone on record for saying that that would undercut her work. Yeah. Which you know, I I don't disagree with, but I don't agree with either. Yeah, I mean, it's keeping us from getting season three, which is a shame. But you know what, a person has to have their pride. No. Yeah, and it's not, it's not like they could have brought back. Um, you know, Hank uh, Fifterthy for the role of Anubo, you know. They, they couldn't bring him back after all this time. No, 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 Hank. It, no, 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 he's. I mean, he's lost most of his vocal cords, so he wouldn't actually be able to, to perform yeah. the same. I mean, he got lost, the synthesizer put in, but that's, you know, then just yeah. use a computer. Well, he lost him in the poker episode, is in the in the kosher poker episode. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the, the thing he ended up betting on. Um, you know, it was weird, Anubo there and also Hank as a person right next to him they're like oh, you sh- should i go all in oh you should go more than all in it's like what do i have to bet with and anubo's like yeah you know and it's like all right and takes out some of his vocal cords yep yeah um, great ad lib yeah and gave wouldn't change a thing and gave the vocal cords to uh so I, I mean one thing that we're sort of you know skipping over with the whole uh kosher poker episode was watching rabbi herschel create the kerning golem yeah. That's right. Using yeah. yeah, using Kabbalah magic. Like that was one of the most beautiful uh Yeah, it was uh, a stealth origin story. Seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Kerning Golem could speak is because Anubis had uh had surrendered his vocal cords. I it's you know, I I you say we're skipping over it. They don't really make a big deal out of it in the show. It's, it's a just happening macabre. in the background. People are talking about drama in the foreground while the poker game is going on and just you know, Rabbi Herschel doing his Kabbalah magic in the background, like not really making a big deal out of it, and just flashes of color off screen. He's very meticulously constructing it. He comes up to the poker table, oh, can I borrow this? And then walks away and continues constructing. I mean, it. he had my attention, but I'm not sure about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the you know, the 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 audience is the final reviewer, is the final collaborator, right? Art is in the, the eye the of the judge. Holder. Yeah, they they constantly ask us to judge. Um, but the more time that we spend on the atrocities that surround the Kerning Golem, the less time that we have for hostess snack cakes and sexy librarians. Yeah. They, they also ask you to, con- they also constantly, the show also constantly asks you to judge dread. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it does get back to one of the, one of the most profitable slogans that, uh, came from the show. 
He shall be judged. Will you judge Dredd? No, he shall be judged. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Anubo's, one of Anubo's catchphrases. That is, no, that is one of his catchphrases, but I think that the most powerful one is when, uh, like, whenever someone says it, everyone on screen says it back in unison. He shall be judged. <laughs> It's kind of cool that, like, every so often while we're watching all the antics in the library, they'll pan out and it's revealed that the library is actually on a gigantic courtroom stand. Like, they just put the whole library in the defendant's chair. Like, yeah. this is a courtroom for giants. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like and Anubis is saying, like, you know, well, Your Honor, speaking the whole truth, this is how I remember it. And then we all kind of go into his dream sequence. We, we do nice, like, Rashomon episode yeah. where we get everybody's <laughs> different take on it. And Anubo's is exactly Anubis's, but everything's blue. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should talk a little bit more about what happens in the books themselves when he decides to go in them rather than just as oh, a fever yeah. dream. Sure. Because um, yeah. I agree, the unique parts of this are the surrounding framework, but they do a lot of interesting twists with the stories. Sure. I mean, this was a pretty big, you know, this this was the era where the Matrix was really popular. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, kind of having that one scene uh, where, you know, they go in and like all the guns fly at uh, Neo and, and, and whatnot as, as they like try to outfit themselves to like make, you know, you remember that one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way they approach every book. Mm-hmm. Like the the book comes at them, um, and then also st- I mean they because they clearly love the Matrix pretty hard. Mm-hmm. All the guns also come at them, and they like <laughs> outfit themselves, and and you know Anubo's there off screen. He's like suit up, yeah. And Anubis is like, I don't normally get along with you that well, but I think this might be a good time for me to suit up because of my love of the Matrix, <laughs> which got pretty chaotic when they delved into All Quiet on the Western Front. Like the, that, that was a lot of guns. And a lot was, of yeah. a lot of books and a lot of not, like, not fun guns. These are these are depressing guns. Yeah, like real guns, not not like fun guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would have been a really good uh, marketing strategy for Nerf if that were the case. Yeah, oh, I was thinking for Funyuns. Oh, or for Funyuns. Funyuns. That's a good point. Zane. Although glad you brought it up. Although the whole Matrix thing just kept on coming up in ways that like that they just kept jamming it in, which was something that was really not to my taste. Like. I, I don't recall there being much bullet time in The Great Gatsby, but they did find a way to, to work it in. And I thought, you know, I thought it was actually pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, but it was, you know, not what I was expecting. I think, you know? I think, I think it's some of that cross-chatter, you know? Like, the fact that he's bringing multiple stories into everything. Um, so the fact that, you know, during that great party in The Great Gatsby, you know, where, where they're, you know, having that good discussion out on the balcony... Um, for Gatsby himself to like jump in the air, do that kick, and like have the camera rotate while he's fighting giant spiders in Mordor. I don't know. I feel like that was like a really good articulation of the fact that oh shit, Anubis has you know he's learned a lot. Maybe I could learn a lot by reading more books. And you know that at its, at its core, this is edutainment. So that is true. And, and, I think that's, that was really useful. Neo, you know, he was the one. In a sense, he's the greatest Gatsby. So there's not that many. You know, it's not that hard to get there. That is what the jury says in the, you know, in one of the... <laughs> we find the, the defendant the greatest outcomes. Gatsby the world has ever seen. He shall be yeah, judged. He's like, yeah! He shall be judged, He's... and Keanu does, you know, does his thing at that point. Good cameo there, too. Yeah, that's true. Um, I found what they did with Anna Karenina pretty... Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Am I, am I pronouncing? Uh, I think you got Anna it. Karenina... I thought it was pretty interesting what they did with Karanana. Karanana. They did get Chevy Chase to <laughs> there make is a couple an echo. Of. There's a lot of echoing when they when they say her name. So. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting them to take that story and bring it all the way up to the Bolshevik revolution. Uh, but you know, it, 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 it was a great excuse to bring in more bullet time, especially when Tsar Nicholas <laughs> managed to survive the first volley by, but by completely like dodging every single shot that the Bolsheviks uh, sent at him. You know, you, you, by, by bringing it up to the Bolshevik Revolution, do you mean the fact that on top of the courtroom, the next flight up, like they go up the elevator and there is a full recreational depiction of the Bolshevik Revolution oh. with live ammunition? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry if I was unclear about that. It's, it's okay. I like. I just wanted to make sure we were listener. all on the same page. Yeah, 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 for the listener, like it's not maybe not. Obvious, I know. wouldn't have you know? seen it. Maybe. Um, so, I apologize. That was overly cautious. Of no, it's okay. And, and I appreciate. Do, it. I appreciate your thought for the for, for the viewer. A, a lot of edutainment shows that deal with literature look at the very surface level obvious stuff when they go into those like extra depth, like ooh Bolshevik time, uh, bull, bull, bullet Bolshevik time. Nope, can't do that. Um, You'll get it one of these days. But I think what was the, those were the more interesting episodes. But there were also ones where they look at like the dictionary. Um, yes. as a book and that one's a bit more chaotic and I don't, I don't, it's weird how something can be both you know off the rails weird and super boring at the same time i think it i think it really speaks to the uh quality of the show that it is able to articulate just how boring a dictionary is yeah but, you know <laughs> every demographic group is going to find something to latch on to and something to complain about in the show yeah. and so yeah the dictionary episodes and there were a lot of them in fact, they were most of the middle part of the second season. Yeah, that was a little bit much, but you know, it was it was it, it was it was it really emphasized the edu in edutainment. And you mm-hmm. know, you get to learn some interesting new words. They had that holy war wherein, you know, Anubis and the uh, and the librarians and the Kerning Golem were on one side. It was like the civil war you know, Marvel Civil War style thing, but the the conflict at hand was whether or not ain't was a word. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 and then they go to like the diplomacy table and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's not. And then Anubo, of course, you know, pops his collar, takes a long drag on his sig and is like, I ain't going to stand for that. And then, of course, the bullets start flying again, and then it's a pan out to the mm-hmm. courtroom, wherein he says, you know, not, he says, you are the greatest one, and then it pans up it la- to the layers. Bolshevik Revolution. Yes, just so we don't forget. Just so we don't forget yeah. what's going on. Um, I, I will say, there's a fun bit of trivia here where um, uh, Pengali Tavulu, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, credits mm. this show with uh, his win in the 2005 National Spelling Bee because of the dictionary episode teaching him how to spell perfidious. That was it. That was an interesting episode because it didn't have like it was the episode was called Perfidious, mm-hmm. and the well, main uh, character perfidious and a new Anubo is there as well, and Anubo <laughs> is there as well in the remake. Yes, um, and then the episode follows. You know the the character Perfidious Maximus, but this is just his name. It doesn't tell you what the word means. He, he got it through context. It, Did they just happen to have the same name as the word is spelled? They, they, I didn't they really spelled it with it. a little bouncing ball during a rare musical segment. Every show's got to have one. Uh, I did like the opera. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, I, I did like the 
opera slash Zydeco, uh, you know, music with the bouncing ball in the middle of some of the episodes. Yeah. And the urchin just like doing a recitative because he's like the line never quite ends. Yeah. And, and naturally, the tiger, just terrible rapper. Yeah. Just, I mean, nobody was expecting a three and a half hour episode, but you know, yeah, you need a good opera every now and then. Defies expectations is is definitely something about this show. Defies expectations is the friggin' tagline of this show. <laughs> yeah, it's that's beautiful. right. Literally, I mean that that is uh, uh, an important part of the DVD box set. And then the the subtitle of the show denies flex expectations because mm-hmm. I think they're like a little bit self you know self aware and 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 uh, I think I think they're a little insecure about their upper body definition. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so they were denying the flex expectations of other people. Well, they were they were able to to write off some marketing uh, as charity by airing the flex expectations in like gyms, and they could say like, "Well, we're trying to educate the the meatheads." It, it was interesting. They had Gatsby back on for that later episode, just lifting um, iron, just like pumping just, weights, just, just pumping iron, and you know that episode, great flex expectations. Yes, and people had to come in and say. That you know, that's not the right book. That's a different book, and him just getting very testosterone angry at them. Yeah, just listen. Are you, are you razzing my delts? It's a real book now, and Mook. They were. <laughs> it's, that's exactly what he said. It's says. a real yeah, book it's... now, Mook. Another an, an, another great T-shirt that I have on my wall. Yeah, I, I really love your ability to just like you know the T-shirts. They fit great and they look great. But you don't want them to get like stretched out or like worn in the wash, so you actually frame all of your t-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I like I keep them under lock and key to keep them safe from moths. It's very bold that your wall is mostly individual safes with all their own combinations, and you have to open each one to view the t-shirt inside. Mm-hmm. 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 This is the life I live. There was a lot of merch associated with this show. I myself picked up a you know a, a sexy librarian uh, p- pack of playing cards where the aces are all different uh, you know Wilson from different angles. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, Div- different angles. Mostly, different mostly outfits. just his knees. A lot of knees. Different outfits. You know, Close little sailor suit. Yeah, um, and he's got those like Ren and Snimply like knobbly knees where he's got like the little bulge oh, yeah. coming out of them. It's not always. As erotic as it could be, but you know, you yeah. gotta. Beauty is where you find yeah. it. It's in the eye of the beholder, and sometimes also in Nobby News. Yeah. I, do, I do recommend rolling down this uh, Amazon page of merch from uh, Inside Out Word Pages. Um, I'm seeing a Kerning Golem pencil sharpener. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's see. We have. It would be weird. I, I wouldn't. I'd be confused on where to stick the pencil because he's just mostly orifices. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a multi. You, you've ever been at the pencil sharpener as a kid, and you're like, "Oh, the kid won't. The next kid in line won't hurry up sharpening their pencil." Well, now well, let's have yeah. a pencil orgy. Yeah, you can just walk over and just stick your own pencil in, and it's just, uh, you know, it's exactly established dominance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the Bumble Puss sock puppet was a pretty a pretty good buy back when it was mm-hmm. available. Does, but 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 does it actually talk back to you? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, okay. It, it it speaks like a Furby in Furbish, so it does get a little <laughs> it does get a little disturbing at times. Because I don't know if you've ever had, if you've ever tried to have a conversation with a Furby, but it is it is disconcerting to say the least. Uh, but you know, it's still a pretty a pretty cool. Once the battery dies, which takes about twenty years, you know, <laughs> it hasn't quite died. In fact, if I spoke a little too loud, it would start yelling at me in some weird language. But it is an, a well-constructed, if 
lead-laced sock puppet. They don't make okay. it any, like okay. that anymore. Okay, sock puppet. Now play Desperado. <laughs> it's that's not the meme. I don't know, man. Um, um, I I do like how they stick to the canon by having Anubo as you know he's you know he's he's a he's a jealous, insecure sort at his heart, mm-hmm. as all bullies are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they also have a sock puppet version of that, but uh, his sock puppet uh, speaks in uh, your choice of Elvish, Klingon, or Navi. Mm, I like that. Very good. Yeah. You know, learning different languages. Learning very different important. Languages. Back to the edutainment aspect. Uh, this is kind of a deep cut because they made a um, Inside Out Word Pages brand raisins. So, you know, dealing with the author's crossover sort of interests. Yeah. A little bit of yeah. crossover there. And uh, I like the Urchin CEO book of knock-knock jokes. These are really great. They, they list a few free ones. Uh, knock-knock. Who's there? Who's there? I'm a busy man. Who's there? <laughs> <laughs> urchin urchin who urchin who urchin you wondering what i'm doing here because i showed up at your door <laughs> and i'm knocking at your door and asking you to ask who i am oh it's so good and like it, i know you're you know i know you're uh streamlining it for time i'm sure it goes on for several more seconds it's just a dot 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 you have to buy the whole thing if you want to oh yeah. that's brilliant yeah. or you can like, amazon you Prime get all it, of them you know. in the set yeah. oh Kindle. Why would? Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. It's so much better than Bazooka Joe. <laughs> Anything is a better so, idea man. than Bazooka Joe. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit about the way this show looks? I mean, we can we not like like how can we avoid it? Really? So there's different there's different levels to it, right? You go to the courtroom, of course, that's going to be like a shoebox diorama. I don't need to get into that uh, too much. Yeah, but the. The inside of books and inside library are the two main different styles. And I guess I, the only word that comes to mind is drippy for the first one. Because of drippy dog? Yeah, the way he's just sort of like in a puddle constantly following everyone around. Yeah. That, that, that's interesting. It's a little, yeah. Little Dolly-esque, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Times. yeah. It's, 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 I'm like a bunch of melting cloths. Oh, no. baby. <laughs> yeah him doing the benjamin button routine through the whole show is weird he eventually turns into a baby by the end of it it's I, I had forgotten about that they don't draw too much attention no to they it. don't but it is a consistent theme which that is yeah. true yeah so yeah like a lot of it is pretty a lot of it is pretty drippy um yeah it's it's a little it's but, a little surreal but you know that it lends itself to the subject matter I think they were trying to distinguish when they're in a book and when they're not by having it like that rain effect constantly going. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they went a little too far with that because when they're not in the book, it looks very comparatively dry to the point at which the paint actually starts flaking off and you just get like the outlines of things well, and bo- not like in a consistent way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just like backgrounds and parts of characters will start flaking off. Occasionally like an artist's thumb will come down from on high and like scrape some that of the fourth wall breaking yeah that fourth wall break again mm-hmm. yeah also the bottom couple of inches of the library are covered in sand i wasn't really sure what to make of that like uh is it like a, is that like a beach bottle episode because <sighs> you have to have one in every in every like do you think they were like hinting that uh, next next episode you know don't don't worry too much if you miss it because it's just a beach bottle episode no no huge things are going to happen here it's just going to be same old same old but we're going to be at a beach I, I could guess, but I, you know, 
the, one of the main messages the of this show is don't guess ever. Who can know the mind of Maisie? You see, though, like the, the whole the, the, the library looked extravagant enough that the sand made me think: Is this supposed to be the the lost library of Alexandria? Could be, could be. Yeah, because mm. that was, I don't know timing-wise if that was around Anubis' time back in his heyday when he was out and active and, you know, prowling the streets. Mm-hmm. Trolling for booty. Mm-hmm. Trolling for booty. Um, I know Anubo yeah. was active at this time in his Oh, he wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the he was very sexually active during those ages. Anthony Cleopatra kind of era. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I would love to yeah. see that Three's Company. That, man, if only... <laughs> Or, or even just like a Three's Company, but also here's Anubo. <laughs> that that would also I would also accept. That. Yeah, that was from- Three's Company, comma Four's Anubo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's Four's Company plus Anubo <laughs> is how the math works out. I'll be honest, I I think I'm pretty much happy to wrap up here. Like mm. I think we we've done a pretty good job laying the framework, the the bare bones minimum amount of information that the casual listener would need to make a, you know, to make to to make a decision on whether to watch this show or not. But of course, we're not even scratching the surface. Yeah, no. I mean, like we could talk more about an overarching plot, but is it, it is a little abstract. It's a mostly episodic format that's a little hard to follow. You could watch this in any order that you want and you're going to get something out of it. And we want to leave you guys with a little bit of, you know, there's some really cool twists that happen. I will I will mm-hmm. just say The Scraper uh, makes an appearance, and I love that little uh, little thing, but I don't think I'm spoiling anything just saying that. No, I think you're... I, 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 I like The Scraper. I liked, I liked Dennis the Wretch. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of good bit characters, um, but... Uh, oh, you know, here's I, another I piece that... of merch is The Wretch's Sketch. I, I, I did see The Wretch's Sketch. I wish... That it looked better, less gross. Yeah, yeah, yes, just slightly better. I mean, of, of all the minor characters, I really enjoyed. It was the Irish gangster Parsnip O'Flanagan. Uh, he he just he, he he had one of the best dress senses that I've ever seen in person or in film. And the fact mm-hmm. that he really was jumped off the page. Yeah, literally, like he was one of those uh, one of those entities that like reached out of my Roku and started breaking the fourth wall in my face. And uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I was completely on board. I did not call Roku at that point because I had figured out that this show was a brilliant piece of art. And it's brilliant. I don't know how enjoyable it is. Like I, I, I watched it and I got a lot out of it, but I don't think that I could recommend it for like a second viewing unless you have like a lot of free mental energy, emotional energy, and, like, ten legal pads. Yes. Just to help you keep track of everything, because mm-hmm. it goes deep. Yeah, this is not for the casual viewer. That's that's mm-hmm. what I will add. Uh, you have to be absolutely serious. You must commit completely, or you will be judged. What? Oh, <laughs> that's a big thing to ask, though, of the Nick Jr. crowd, in my opinion. And they they do front load it. They give it in the opening scrawl yeah. from the top of the screen. It's like you must commit, and it's just that like twenty for twenty different lines, like in larger and larger font. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and kids so, have a so bunch of free time. I mean, I think I'm on record on this show of saying that I think that animation needs to respect children more, and I think this absolutely does respect its uh, its viewership. So the Nick Jr. crowd, if you respect it, yeah, the well, the child must. The child, the child must respect you the must inside submit. outward respect, pages. Respect uh, almost to the level of submission. Mm-hmm. Yes. Past the level of submission in certain episodes. Right. Such as the there submission episode, 
where viewers viewers wrote in what they wanted to happen in the show. The pro wrestling episode was something to behold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm really happy that you gave us the opportunity to look back over the show. Um, I, I don't think I gave it enough of a careful eye the first time, but I definitely did this time. I knew you what you bring to it. I wanted to be ready, and uh, I hope you I hope you feel fulfilled having talked about all the all the key ingredients that went into Absolutely, it. this was completely edifying to talk to you guys about. Like I, I've I've been waiting for years to to bring this show to 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 the Carton cast. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can finally stop banging our heads about it. You can finally stop reminding us every single time I show up on your podcast. I know. And every Halloween, uh, before we hit record, I'm like, Ben, Zane, we got to watch Inside Out Word Pages. It'll blow your minds. (laughs) And we were like, I don't have 100 hours right now. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, we made 100 hours and we made it work. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. is, you know, beautiful. So thank you guys again. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Absolutely. I will. I will admit that in addition to watching it while I was watching it, I was playing a lot of um, uh, the unofficial Urchin CEO card game, the like solitary ish ish one where uh, you try and make as long a sentence as possible and then uh, try and make a pyramid out of it. Mm-hmm. I thought I heard that that wasn't well balanced. I heard that you know changing vowel of uh, changing Y from a vowel to a consonant made it just an un. Uh, just just an un- untenable faction to try to play as it's the imbalances that give it replay value uh well i, I mean yeah i guess so i can imagine getting pretty sick of it yeah. but if you enjoy it i'm not going to take that away from you yeah. yeah um dan thank you so much for coming on our you're show. very welcome thank uh, you for having me would you like to plug your podcast before we wrap up? Uh, sure. So you can find me and my co-host JT at the Cocktail Party Congress, one of our proud Fancy Bat Network shows. Uh, I think for our next episode, we are going to be talking to uh, the entire Eurasian landmass at once. So that could get mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Uh, a little unwieldy. Going to get them on Zoom. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I mean, I mean, now that. <laughs> Now that my school has gone over the distance learning, I've got a pretty good Zoom account, so like, <laughs> okay. so I can I can I can I can host up to um, two two. You're billion. now hosting twelve billion. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I I I think that should be a good episode. I don't know if it will reach the heights of the episode, your epic takedown of John Wilkes Booth, not for his political actions, but of his acting. Yeah, he's a pretty crap actor, so it was fun to <laughs> for JT and I to really. Uh, unload on that so to speak but um <laughs> he had a lot of like strong opinions about his facial hair and it, why it made him such a bad person six mm-hmm. semper terrible am i right you are right you, you made your case <laughs> yeah don't make it you again not, you've won me you over do not want to open the floodgates i am yeah, d- double jeopardy i think i think that his brother edwin was far better uh, a far greater talent on the stage so as far as i'm concerned edwin already had won yeah, and listener, if you want to hear that argument in thrilling 23-hour filibuster detail, go ahead and listen to that. Uh, but and if you want to listen to us, Ben, what are we talking about next time? Next time, we are talking about wrapping paper up to heaven. Wrapping paper up to heaven. Um, I haven't dipped into this yet. Does it, does it hold up? Do you remember it well? It doesn't hold up all the way to heaven, but it does have a lot of interesting twists and turns mid purgatory mm-hmm. like mid to upper purgatory i think that you'll be i think that you'll be pleased with 
how deep they go into mermaid physiology, specifically the tails. Ooh, maybe we can do a tie-in with Empowered. That would be nice. Yeah, may- may- maybe so. I think there's a lot of Poseidal angles to you know talk about there. Uh-huh. And then after that, uh, we will be doing Goat Blood Rangers, which, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about this show all the time. It's not, like, it doesn't reach high art, but I, I like it. Sometimes you just need your classic Sentai with a good little chupacabra goodness. Mm-hmm. Lips yeah, smacking well, good. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, you can go to our website at fancybat.com or cartoncast.com. You can go to our Facebook page. If you want to leave a comment, please go to our contact page. Um, if you can leave a rating or a view on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. And more than anything else, just tell the fr- tell your tell tell a newbo about the show. <laughs> yeah, and do we have a sign off, Dan? He shall be judged. Warning: The following podcast may contain explicit language. It will certainly contain heterodoxy, political pandemonium, and graphic depictions of alcohol use. Listeners may rest assured that at the time of recording this episode, all participants had nowhere to drive. The Cocktail Party Congress encourages you to drink and think responsibly. In vino veritas. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt?